The epistle is taken from second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 3, starting at verse 12, ending at verse 42. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant was read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The Holy Gospel is written in the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, starting at the 28th verse. About eight days after Jesus had said this, when he was predicting his death in the passage just before, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, 
the demons threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. I don't know about you, but watching the news this week has been a bit grim. It's been quite tense and scary times. We're seeing Russia trying to rewrite history and redraw the map of Europe. And perhaps, like me, sometimes you feel like having a good scream. Sheer frustration. But for every look at the world, we need to look even more at the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been reminded this week of that chorus, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Certainly it resets our focus, and that's what we're thinking about this morning. Three of Jesus' disciples, his inner circle, Peter, James and John, got to gaze on the unveiled glory of Jesus. It was there on the mountain where they'd gone to pray. Jesus was transfigured before them. He was still himself and still in his body, but now he was shining with glory. And these three men found it quite overwhelming because they were in the presence of something they'd never imagined. And for centuries, artists have painted Jesus with a halo but of course he didn't have one. As far as we know, he looked perfectly ordinary most of the time. But at this moment, the change wasn't a halo. It was a radiance of his whole being. Even his clothes were too bright to look at. And many artists tried to paint a picture of what happened and really struggled. <clears throat> now this glory wasn't given to Jesus just for a moment. It was and is his by nature from eternity. But for the everyday, he hid it from the world. It was wrapped in human flesh and blood. But now for a brief time, it was on display. And then Moses and Elijah appeared as well, talking with Jesus. They talked about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment in Jerusalem. So they're talking about his death. It's not a random conversation, it's a focused discussion about Jesus' death and resurrection which was still ahead. I think this tells us that the death and resurrection of Christ was definitely planned. Moses and Elijah knew it was going to happen and they seemed to be watching as the events unfold. Jesus' death was voluntary and purposeful as he died to make atonement for our sin and to make forgiveness freely available. Without his death, there would be no reconciliation between God and sinful people. But of course, Peter and the others didn't quite get this yet. Peter makes a suggestion which wasn't quite appropriate. He said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So that was Jesus being put on a level with Moses and Elijah, who were two figures whom the Jews admired greatly and revered. So what's wrong with that? Peter's taking a very high view of Jesus here. But if we put it the other way round, that Peter is putting Moses and Elijah 
on a level with Jesus, then God says, no. The voice came from heaven and said, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And God affirms that Jesus is set apart, even from Moses and Elijah. He's in a class of his own. And then the disciples could no longer see these two heroes. They only could see Jesus. And later on, when they speak of this experience, they do not mention Moses and Elijah, only Jesus' glory, which they had seen. So even Moses and Elijah have to fade into the background when we consider who Jesus is. And then, of course, everything went back to normal. Moses and Elijah disappeared, and the voice didn't speak anymore, and Jesus stopped glowing. He looked just like he always did. And they made their way down the mountain, and they were met by an ordinary crowd, mostly curious onlookers who were watching the disciples trying to heal a boy. But it wasn't working. Jesus gives a sigh of the unbelief which is on display, and then he deals with an evil spirit, with the boy, with his father, and then with his disciples. And life goes on, heading towards the crucifixion and resurrection. Well, now let's think about the other passage we read in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians. Here we find that Moses went around with his face covered. Moses in the face mask. <laughs> it's quite interesting. I don't know if you can imagine going around with a veil over your face all the time, and perhaps as we've been wearing masks so much, you might not find it so difficult. Um, but we see Muslim women going around with their faces covered, and perhaps we feel rather sorry for them, perhaps sometimes a little afraid, because we can't even see who they are, never mind what they're thinking. <coughs> but why would Moses wear a veil over his face? Well, we need to know the story that's written for us in Exodus chapter 34. So I'll read a little bit to you. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked to them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all what the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So Moses spent so much time in God's presence that the glory of God seems to have rubbed off on him, we might say. His face shone with that light he'd been contemplating. And the Israelites were afraid to come near him until it faded away. So as long as the glory was still visible, Moses covered his face. Paul takes up that thought. He says the Jewish people are the ones who are veiled in the sense that they are blinded to the truth and the beauty of God's presence. But that veil is removed when anyone turns to the Lord, and I'm sure it applies to everybody, not just Jewish people. Then we can gaze on him with unveiled faces and the glory will rub off on us. 
As we gaze on the Lord, we are being transformed into his likeness. So Peter, James and John shared a fleeting, very privileged experience of gazing on the glory of Jesus on the mountain. But Paul's not speaking here about a fleeting experience. He says, we all, all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's a wonderful promise. If we contemplate the Lord's glory, it will change us. Well, how do we do that? Sometimes we long for an overwhelming experience where we see God's glory. And just occasionally we are granted such moments. But this verse, I think, is talking about something more purposeful, more everyday, if you like. It's an ongoing process. We have the privilege of having the veil of blindness and unbelief removed when we turn to the Lord. And it allows us to enter God's presence freely. We can contemplate Jesus' glory every day. All it takes is a bit of time and commitment. One hour on Sunday morning will do something for us, for sure, but there's much more that we can enjoy. Now, over the years, I've made a habit of reading through the Bible repeatedly, three or four chapters a day, and you cover it in a year. The Bible is a great basis for any meditation and contemplation we do. But I have to say, I used to go straight to the Bible and start reading. Yes, it was a great habit, but sometimes I got through the reading without really connecting with the Lord, and that kind of missed the point. We did the prayer course a while back, and it just offered me a better way to approach this. So now I take time to focus my mind and thoughts, and use a, friend, a phrase or a sentence as I come to God each day. And I quite often use the words that we repeat in the communion service. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. I repeat it quite slowly because slowing down helps me focus. It helps me be more aware of God around me to remember who he is. Then I read the Bible and then it varies. Sometimes I sing a hymn or a worship song and pause to ponder the words. Sometimes I read a psalm and sometimes I just sit. And some days it doesn't happen because other things scream for attention. My life is as crazy as yours sometimes is. Jesus and the three disciples returned to the everyday world, and so must we. I'm not as regular or as long in my devotions as you might imagine. But I do believe that God has been changing me over the years. I know he hasn't finished yet. To coin a phrase, there's a long way to go. But it's what I allow God to do in me that matters, not my effort to please him. And he's provided this way for us to be transformed, to just gaze on Jesus until his likeness is reflected in us. As John puts it, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
So that's the completion of this process, will be the day that we meet Jesus face to face. So, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.